This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. My name is Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time, thank you so much for joining in. If you've been listening since the first episode a few weeks back, so glad that you're here. Today's interview is a conversation I had with Jen Dahl, which, as her bio says on her website, is in fact her real name. Uh, Jen has a new book out on August 30th that you can pre-order right now called That's Debatable. It's a young adult book that focuses on a debate club. And we have a really interesting conversation about that in the second half of our discussion. She has also written two other books, Unclaimed Baggage, and then she also wrote a kind of memoir called Save the Date, which is the occasional mortifications of a serial wedding guest. It's basically her life as she has learned throughout a series of weddings that she's attended. Uh, That's Debatable is a delightful book. I highly recommend you check it out. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about a few things that I want to share with you. First, I have two book recommendations for you. They're slightly older, but one of them I want to bring to light because it had some big news around it. And the other one is just a book that I really, really enjoy. So the first one is The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. Zakia is a wonderful human being, and they deserve all of their flowers for this book. Uh, The Other Black Girl was recently announced to be given a series on Hulu, which is just going to be fantastic. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the plot, but basically The Other Black Girl is a version of Zakia's experience slightly. She spent a lot of time in the publishing world, and it was a story about an African-American person kind of being the only African-American person in a publishing house. A lot of extreme things happened that had nothing to do with Zakia's really life, real life, and they are creepy and interesting and just, oof, the end of this book will take your breath away. So if you haven't read The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, it was very, very buzzy last summer. Now's a great time to check it out because it's going to become a show on Hulu in the near future. The other book I want to recommend is The Night Always Comes by Willie Vlotten. If you have heard me on other podcasts, I was on Book Talk, etc. a few months back before this podcast existed. And we were talking about the types of books that we like. And I always say that I like small stories with big emotions. And The Night Always Comes by Willie Vlotten is, is one of those It is the story of this young woman who is trying to survive in a life that is beating her down. She's barely 30. Her name is Lynette. And she has horrible credit. She has multiple jobs, some of them maybe not so legal. 
And she's trying to save up to buy this house that she lives in with her mom and her developmentally disabled brother, uh, Kenny. And it's in Portland and it's fluctuating and it's all this stuff. And it's basically set over two days and two nights as Lynette is like frantically trying to get all the money that she is owed and make this, you know, purchase of this house and her mom being kind of against it. And I really like it because you start with this character and anytime you open up a book, you tend to be shown a character. And and even if it's not the main character, it's like the first character you meet in your mind is the main character. And so you, you think that you want to be rooting for them. And Lynette slowly gets peeled back like an onion. I'll do a Shrek thing here, Uh, like an onion. And you realize there's more and more to her where she's a whole human being. And it's, you know, it's not as simple as just, a person with a really, really wonderful thing that they want to do. You learn more and more about her. And as you learn more about her, you're conflicted with rooting for her or not, but it's just a really, really powerful book. So that's The Night Always Comes by Willie Vlotten and The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris that I highly recommend you check out. I just want to read one quick review that made my day from Apple. Uh, it's passionate for passions and prologues. I'm here because I love books and along for the journey because it's so delightful. Listening to authors talk about why they love what they love is just joyful. The format is effortless and I will be a lifelong listener. I haven't always been familiar with the author or the passion, but I've enjoyed every minute of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Anytime you review a podcast like this, it not only helps people find, you know, us a little bit more easily, but it also makes my day. So if you haven't yet, if you want to leave me a review, it it means the world to me. And I really, really appreciate it. As a reminder, if you do review the podcast, be sure to screenshot that review and send it to passionsandprologues at gmail.com. Show me that review and I will give you some customized book recommendations for you. Uh, Also, if you have any questions or any feedback or anything you want to do, you can always send it to that email as well and passionsandprologues at gmail.com. And be sure to look up Passions and Prologues on Instagram and TikTok because I'm usually giving away book recommendations on both those platforms as well. Okay, today's conversation, as I mentioned, is with Jen Dahl. She has a brand new book called That's Debatable coming out August 30th. You can pre-order right now. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can do that. We talk all about cooking, which is a thing that we both discovered we are super, super enamored with. Uh, It was just a really fun conversation. Jen is the first person I interviewed who I didn't previously know before our discussion. So it was fun to get to know each other through different recipes and and the ways that we like to tackle stuff in the kitchen. So not going to keep you any longer. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with Jen Dahl, author of That's Debatable on Passions and Prologues. Hey, everybody. It's Adam again, and I'm really, really excited to be joined by author Jen Dahl. And this is actually the first, um, this is the first interview I'm recording with a author who I wasn't like previously friends with. So this is really, really fun because I get to find out a <laughs> whole bunch of things about Jen. So first off, Jen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is actually my first publicity event for this new book. So we're kind of in the same boat. I love it. it. (laughs) So in addition to Jen and I just meeting a few minutes ago, I also don't know quite yet what she's going to say when I ask this question. So Jen, what are some of the things that you're passionate about? And we can figure (laughs) out what we're going to talk about as we go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that the thing that has arisen in the past, you know, pandemic couple of years 
and also coincides with me becoming a stepmom and um, marrying my husband, who had kids before me, obviously. And uh, I, I like became this insane cook. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly obsessed with cooking, and I spend a lot of time every day thinking about what I'm making for dinner. Yes. <laughs> do you do this too? <laughs> Absolutely. I am a massive home cook, especially throughout the pandemic. This is a great weekend. We, we can, can talk for hours about this. Absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's one. Secondarily, I mean, my dogs, one of whom is 14 and one is three, mm-hmm. and they're probably like my most Instagrammed, you know, item, <laughs> even more than my books potentially. Mm-hmm. And um, the three-year-old is named Ramona and the 14-year-old is named Gidget. And uh, they're both poodles. Gidget is like a poodle mix who was a rescue. Mm-hmm. Ramona is a pure poodle. And they're just obscenely cute and mm-hmm. annoying. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, I to, I have a 12 and a 10-year-old, literally in real time, my 10-year-old and my 12-year-old. I see one of them behind you. <laughs> yeah, my 12-year-old, that's Holden. He's my wine runner. He, as I was saying that, he dramatically stood up and laid back down behind me. <laughs> yeah, I no, I, I definitely love that. I, let's talk about cooking, though, because I feel like we yeah. might have a similar path. So cool. you talked about especially during the pandemic, like when did you discover, like you said, you wanted to like really start to get into it? Like how did your process of like really getting into cooking? Yeah, I think that it started even pre-pandemic. It was, it was like marinating um, to use a cooking word. And (laughs) I was like, so I moved from Brooklyn to upstate New York and I live in a house now and Mm -hmm. there's a kitchen. And when I was in Brooklyn, there was like kind of a tiny little stove that I used maybe once a week to, I don't know, cook pasta or something. But it just moving up here changed a lot. And then I moved in. I When I met my husband, his son was like 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And now he's almost 19. And his son and I kind of like bonded over food mm-hmm. as one does. And so we would make like little things like nachos and just like simple things. But then I started getting more and more ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I think that this has to do with being a writer to some extent. Uh, like often writers have these other pursuits that they that involve spending a lot of time becoming kind of obsessed with And you can still feel productive even though you're not writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like a big deal for me. I could create something, but it wasn't like creating an entire novel because that's really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could make a cake and that would take a day, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, and then I, at some point got this New York Times cooking subscription, Mm -hmm. which is sort of still, even though I love cookbooks and physical books, I find my go-to is often just going online and being like, what can I do with green beans, zucchini, and a potato, you know, like, Mm -hmm. which is kind of magical. Like, I love also those websites you can go to where you just put in your ingredients. You're like, I have all this random shit. What can I do? It's incredible. Um, Yeah. So I just started like doing more and more and more. And then uh, we belong to a CSA up here. So Mm -hmm. we get produce every week and it's like a job to deal with it because you don't want it to go to waste. So there's like, you know, right now I think I have like five different kinds of lettuce in my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like there's kale, there's bok choy, there's tons of spinach, there's mescaline greens, there's, I have turnips. And so I'm just like, mm-hmm. I have to like create with this stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. 
know. And then it was fun because Quinn, my stepson, like really got into food and he was cooking at a restaurant nearby around the same mm-hmm. time. So we would share like different ideas for things and we cooked like duck confit together. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I, I love this so much. I, I'm the same way. Like I've always been, I've always been a, a huge cook and my mom laughs because like my mom was a teacher for 40 years and my dad owned an insurance agency. So like we, I'm the youngest of four. So there's six of us yeah. growing up and like one of the things my parents always said was like, we will have dinner together every night as a family. It might be at 9 PM. It might be at 5 PM, but we're going to have it. And yeah, but because my mom was so big, like she, you know, she made it home in time to make us something every day, like a freaking hero. But yeah, but I mean, you know, a lot of times it was like, there's this stuff called chicken voila, which is like a frozen pasta chicken thing that you can buy at like, Uh Heinen's or Target or yeah. any, you know, insert grocery store here. And like, so we would joke, we we're like, oh, those chicken voila on that. Cause mom literally just got home. Like, so my mom's like, I don't know where you got this because I, <laughs> I just, I became obsessed with it and it like started slow, like you said, but then especially at like the beginning of the pandemic and even a little before that same thing, like getting CSAs. I love the thing I love about that is it like forces you to eat like the way that people really kind of were meant to eat, like seasonally. Yeah, like, yeah and locally. Um, and locally, yeah. And, and it's like, you're supposed to, in theory, it's, and it's so much better for the environment, to eat what is grown by you when it's yes. grown. And it's fresher and it tastes better. Yeah. Well, and just like, I don't know about you, but I, I also love, you were talking about like kind of like that sort of creating something out of nothing. Like that, mm-hmm. I I absolutely love that knowing like I can take a butternut squash and like a box of pasta noodles and just whatever spices I find and I can make like, a version of macaroni and cheese that is amazing yes. Yes. out of nowhere. So when you are cooking things, I guess I'm, I'm the same as you. Like I love being like, okay, I have some radishes and a radicchio <laughs> and to Google, like, what can I do with this? Yeah. Are you also, I, I like to be real douchey and say cooking is like jazz where I'm like, it's just whatever you want. Just put the, it's literally such a- I am kind of like that. I think yeah. when I first started, I was, I guess my, my cooking background also is interesting because mm-hmm. I grew up with a brother, a younger brother, and my mom and dad, and my mom was the cook, like, and she, my mom is Italian, and she cooks a lot of really good Italian food and other things, too. My dad's kind of like a grill dad, and my brother was the one who, as you know, after graduating from college, we both lived in New York City, and he was the one who, like, would cook these amazing meals, and I was always like, why? I don't have time for this. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not a cook. You guys can all be the cooks. And so then this thing happened where it just like twisted. And I, instead of feeling like I was stuck being a cook or had to cook for people, it mm-hmm. became like a real pleasure to be able to create things for people. Yeah. Um, and I think that that ties into like the idea of not only following other people's recipes, but mm-hmm. like as a writer, you want to like start writing your own. You want to put your own spin on it. You want to mm-hmm. have your voice, you know, like so, and you serve people what you feel like is going to be delicious based yeah. not only on your research of doing other people's recipes, but like mm-hmm. your own experience. So I did start, I think I followed recipes, but I would always do a little bit of a twist based on either ingredients I had or just my own, like, I know that this would be better with XYZ, you know, a little more salt, let's throw Mm -hmm. anchovies in it, you know, like whatever. And I really enjoy that. And then I'm trying to think, I made something last night from the New York Times Mm -hmm. like (laughs) recipe. It was like this 
pasta with broccoli, but I threw zucchini in, in as well. And like, I totally messed up the amounts of water to put in it. And it was great. I know exactly what you mean. That There's, as you start cooking more and more, like you said, you find things where you'll see a a pasta dish and you'll be like, well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't say to throw in, like you said, like zucchini or squash or broccoli or, but I'm going to, because I know it's going to be good or like, yeah. oh, this is a red pepper sauce. Like, so I don't know, I'll throw some mushrooms in there. Like you just kind of like yes. figure out, but I also do, I really love, there is a, maybe you'll know the name of it. I'm drawing a blank, but it's an Italian summer stew, um, giambata. It's no, like, it, it sounds so good. Yeah. I saw a recipe for it. It might've been last summer. It was yeah. this influencer guy and uh-huh. it's that time where like everything is being harvested and so you've got you know your green beans and your your nine different types of squash and your tomatoes and your carrots uh-huh. and, and you literally just throw everything in a pot and you make a tomato like broth and then you yeah. just make some crusty bread or you make your own croutons or something yeah and that was incredible. It's it was, like a minestrone a little bit, right? It's, yeah, but, it's just like a minestrone, except there's not even any pasta in it. You just okay. like, you just eat it like a stew. And it was one of those things where like, I think that's my favorite thing about cooking with fresh vegetables is, and I, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. So like I, over the last 10 years, like I don't even cook with meat anymore, but there was just something yeah. about the fact that I went to my local farmer's market and I just grabbed like one of everything and just threw it into a pot with some tomatoes. And I was like, this is, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever made in my entire yeah. life. Yes. And it just makes me, it's actually, this is one of the reasons and I want to ask you the same thing. I'm a horrible baker. Like I, <laughs> I've done the thing over the pandemic that everyone else did where I. Sourdough started, starter? I started just <laughs> exactly. I just tried to make bread. I am so bad at following like real recipes that, uh-huh. you know, I'm, you probably know this too as a cook. When you like bake bread and it's like put this much salt or this much yeast in it. It's like, no, they mean that. Like you really need to like, do you? Yeah. I didn't believe in that at first. And I have come to, I, my mom bought me like a scale to weigh things. And I was like, I'm never going to use that. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. And now I use it religiously. Like whenever I make a cake or anything like that, I weigh my flour, but it did. It was a change. I think how you come at food, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you come at food, maybe from like a more mathematical baking place, you are very specific and maybe you're, you adhere to recipes very specific strictly. Mm-hmm. And that is itself a craft and lovely, but I'm sort of more of a, and you, I think are too, like throw stuff in and see what mm-hmm. happens. And like, do we plot or do we pants or, you know, like what kind of writer are we or what kind of creative person are we? Mm-hmm. And I think that with food, I'm a person who <laughs> ends up in the middle of the, <laughs> mm-hmm. of the recipe. And I'm like, this may be a disaster. <laughs> How did I get here? Oh, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's like that, but I do, I enjoy baking too. I just, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a different brain place that it's Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy it too. And don't get me wrong. Like I still try like every couple of weeks I try to make bread just because it, it's, there's something very soothing about it, but I'm, I yes. still, even to this day, like if I see a recipe that's like make your dough, and proof it for 24 hours, I'm like, well, I'm certainly not going to, I just know no, I'm I won't do that either. And you know, the bread you can buy at bakeries is so good no. versus, and I don't want to be like, I'm such a great cook, but like a lot of times the dinners you can make are as good as a restaurant, but the bread is never as good. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's, this is really thing. good. Crusty bread is not you, something I can make. <laughs> you just touched on something that I feel like every like home cook, it sounds like we both are at like a pretty decent level. Like when you get to a certain level as a home cook, you definitely, it's not snobbery, but it is absolutely this feeling. Like you said, where if I'm going to a restaurant, I will either eat something that I 
wouldn't make for myself normally ever. Exactly. Or I will definitely say like, I mean, I could have made that better. Like yes. it's an absolute <laughs> feeling we all have where you're like, as soon as you get to a certain level where you're like, I could eat their pasta, but like, I could just but make I could just do that at home. Yeah. And I was so annoyed growing up because my mom would always say that. And now I'm like, all right, I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you were right. <laughs> yeah. But then at the same time, I, one of the things I do at restaurants, if, especially if it's like a nice restaurant where it's known for something is I will order something really, really simple. Like if it's a Italian restaurant where I know that they are making their own pasta, mm-hmm. I'll be like, all right, well, if, if they're known for making fresh pasta, I will just get like their marinara I'll just, yeah. or like I'll get like a just a simple oil and tomato. Just let me experience like the dough because I, I always that yeah. is one thing my mom taught me because her my grandmother who I never got to meet, but apparently she had a incredible garden and one of the things my mom taught me is like she would they didn't come up from a lot of money at all but she would have like barrels or baskets rather of tomatoes and she would just do stewed tomatoes with butter on white bread and she's like yeah the best thing i've ever eaten that sounds so good Yeah. yeah we'll be back with more passions and prologues after this break this episode is brought to you by fx's the veil starring elizabeth moss FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. And now, back to Passions and Prologues. What are some of the things that you find yourself like gravitating? Like, what are some of those comfort foods that you like cooking for yourself? Um, well, one of the first things, and this, I have become like increasingly more and more vegetarian. I used to be a vegetarian when I was in high school and mm-hmm. up through college. And then I was like, there's so much food out there. I just have to try it all, you know? And like, so I, and now I'm sort of back, like pulling away from eating meat, but I'm also enjoying eating meat sometimes. One of the things I started making was, this bosom, which is like the Korean pork dish that like David Chang kind of like popularized um, at Momofuku. But like you cook this pork shoulder for six to eight hours, slow cooking Mm -hmm. it in the oven. And there is something so, I love recipes that take a long time, but are easy, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're not tending to it during that time. Every hour you take it out and you baste it and, you know, Mm -hmm. you make sure it's not burning and stuff like that. But it just does itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, it falls apart and it's just like the most delicious pork that's like done so simply. So I, w- I started doing that. And then obviously the like the scallion dips and the different yeah. things that you can use to, to make it more delicious. Mm-hmm. That's something that I like cooking for a big group. Mm-hmm. And also it's like very impressive, even though it's very simple. Yeah. Um, I love cooking lasagna, <laughs> Yeah, which I like really got into because we had so much spinach and so much kale. So I always make like a spinach lasagna or a mm-hmm. kale lasagna, a green lasagna. I started using this recipe. It's like Kenji Alt Lopez's recipe. Oh yeah. Have you used that? It's uh, uh, yeah. I'm um, a big Kenji Lopez Alt fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, it's like this spinach. It's got a bechamel sauce. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I would like add to it by doing like a red sauce on the bottom and the top because yeah. you, know, you have to do your own of course. exciting adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess those are like, those are things that are kind of like complicated, but in a pleasing way mm-hmm. or, you know, simple, but complicated because it's 
steps or its length of time, but you also start to do it so often that you just know how to do it mm-hmm. and you don't need to go back to a recipe, yeah. which I really, I enjoyed that stage of the process, like mm-hmm. where you're like, I'm just doing this by rote now. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite things? So I'm a huge, huge fan of making shakshuka. Mm. So, for yes. people who, yeah, and this has gotten the, this has become more well known around the internet. But for people who aren't familiar, shakshuka is really just like a tomato stew, um, much like stewed tomatoes, which, which I was just talking about. But it's like a depending on how you spice it, it can be Mediterranean, Middle Eastern. I'm a big fan of. I literally I turn it into almost like a uh, like everything in the pot, like whatever I have. So if I have a potato, if I have some pinto beans, if I have a you know a red pepper, if I have a sweet potato. Whatever I have, I just will toss all of that into a pan with, you know, some onions and some curry powder and some paprika and some ginger, like whatever spices I have that are kind of that like Indian spice mix that are in my house, some za'atar, whatever it is, just cook all of that really till it gets really soft. And then you add a can of San Marzan tomatoes, the actual, like the, get the big ones and use it in your hand, like switch them yourself, people. I can't stress this enough. It matters. It matters. But you just kind of cook that down until it gets a little thick. And then you crack like four or five eggs around it and you cover it and you let the eggs kind of steam through so that they cook. And then you just eat that with bread and like so good it's so good and it honestly like if you are one of those people who looks like per serving it's like three dollars at most per serving for a meal and then like you can top you can top it with whatever fresh herb you have and yeah. some like feta cheese and it's and just, it's healthy and it's healthy um, yeah yeah I need to do that maybe we'll do that for dinner tonight yeah love shakes you get <laughs> and then like I said I, I make I made like a butternut squash macaroni and cheese this one day and like mm. I just remember my mom being like well, how did you make this and I will say the thing that I use to make like everything creamy is coconut milk. Like I'll use uh-huh. that for my regular pasta sauce too. But, yeah. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm like you, I like things that either take a really long time, but I also like something that's soothing, like a caprese sandwich type of a thing. Yes. And this is how I'm going to, the professional podcaster here, this is how I'm going to transition to actually talking about books with you. Um, <laughs> I find when I am working on my manuscript or like I'm writing a story, I either like doing it in like 15 minutes sprints, like really quick, like it's a really quick meal. Or I like working for like four hours on a plane where I like a nonstop. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So do you, how would you say cooking compares at all to your writing process? Or do you see them as two entirely different things? Well, one way that, so th- there, I don't know if this totally fits, but I wrote cooking into the book mm-hmm. to some extent. Both of my characters are high school debaters. Yeah. Um, one of them is kind of grappling with the idea of both sidesism in debate, like that you have to argue both sides. Yeah. And he comes from a much more privileged background than the other character. And so he just is like, I don't really want to argue the side I don't believe in, and I don't think I should have to. But also, he's, so he's a debater, and everyone's like, you're a debater, you do have to argue both sides. Yeah. That's your job. Uh, but what he really wants to do is cook. And mm-hmm. so throughout the book, <laughs> he's preparing different things, and mm-hmm. you get little recipes throughout the book of things that he's cooked for uh, Millie, who is the other character. Yeah. They start to have a relationship. So in that way, it was like I was cooking and I was writing about cooking at the same time, even yeah. though cooking is not the primary topic of the book. And I think that in terms of like my writing process, I do think that they're similar. Like, mm-hmm. and I would agree with you that sometimes you almost just need to like check in and make what you're making for dinner, you know, yeah. and you just do it and you sort of let your, let your second consciousness take over mm-hmm. and just produce it. 
And then sometimes you're like, I really need to do some research. And, and maybe this is telling about myself in ways that I haven't thought about, but I do spend a lot of time researching, like what recipes do I want to cook tonight? And I Mm -hmm. think I also spend a lot of time researching what I need to write. Mm -hmm. And when I get to a place where I'm stuck, I need to sort of fall back on the research or like go back to thinking about it again, because Mm -hmm. you can't just like cook and cook and cook and cook without any supplies to cook with. (laughs) And you can't just write and write and write and write without anything to put into your writing. I think that they're similar in that way. On the other hand, I think I use cooking as an excuse not to write sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, Oh, I mean, with the pandemic and thinking about like who we are as people and what we want to like achieve in the world and the idea of ambition for ambition's sake, just being kind of like a, a futile pursuit, you know, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't really pay us anything other than like what we really want to be doing is what I want to be doing is sort of this more spiritual or holistic, like fulfillment, you know, like, so, so cooking where you're feeding people mm-hmm. and taking care of the people that you love and also ideally taking care of the earth by using mm-hmm. what it provides and not shipping in avocados from Mexico every mm-hmm. week. I mean, yes, we get avocados, but yeah. Um, yeah. Like, but trying to like be a little more local and mm-hmm. community-based in terms of food. Yeah. And I think in book writing, it's a similar thing. Like there's not, I mean, sure. Everyone wants to like make a million dollars, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But really more importantly is connecting to the people who you want to read your book and who want to read your book and having these like small, but really vital connections. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. And that's what makes you the happiest, I think, or makes me the happiest. Yeah. Okay. So for your newest book, that's debatable. I'm, I'm interested in, I'm interested in like in what and I know you had experience doing debate club. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious how that affected like building out characters and relationships and things like that. Because I think of like growing up, I went to a really small school. So I got to kind of do everything. I was captain of like the baseball and football team, but I was also uh-huh. one of the like I also did plays and musicals. Uh-huh. And I think of more the people that I did the musicals and plays with as the people that I had like a closer relationship with because we had so much time like downtime to be yes. interacting with each other and all these things. So right. how did being in debate club and then writing about it, like how do you think that affected the characters that you wrote for That's Debatable? Like how, because yeah. can you kind of talk to me a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I did Lincoln Douglas debate in high school for four years. Mm-hmm. By my senior year, I was captain of the team. And the people, the kids I debated with, like my team, we hung out like, every weekend, you know, I mean, maybe there were, there were tournaments, not every weekend, but there was at least a tournament every other weekend, I think. Mm -hmm. So we would be like in a van going to a school where we would hang out and talk and, you know, people would have like their debate relationships and, um, like (laughs) love affairs and, you know, like dramas and everything. I mean, it was its own. This is probably what it was like for theater too. Mm -hmm. Like it's your world. And when I was thinking about this book and like, like, I just, I wanted to channel that world Mm -hmm. again. Those relationships are so important to who you become along with the fact that like you're learning to speak and have a voice. And as a 13 or 14 year old girl, 
I didn't think anyone cared what I had to say. And like, Mm -hmm. I was shy and I didn't know how to say it. And through debate practice, it became much more like, oh yeah, I have, I can say this stuff. I can talk to people I don't know. I can convince them of things and they can even, they will vote for me, you know, to win Mm -hmm. in this round potentially. So the friendships and like, I just remember we'd drive to like Dallas and we'd stay at a hotel, like a La Quinta in Dallas for like two and a half, two nights, two and a half days of like debate tournament. And we would all hang out like late at night, both having fun and practicing cases and stuff. So with Tag, who's the boy in the main character boy in my book, he has a team and they do things like that. And Mm -hmm. Millie is going to a school where she's the only debater. Mm -hmm. And she kind of like created the team by herself. And she has a coach who he's actually like a football coach, but he agreed to help coach her. So, um, which like, because not every school is well-funded and Mm -hmm. has debate teams. And she has a much more insular experience. Mm -hmm. And it is through meeting Tag and his friends that she starts to kind of gain this broader community, which Mm -hmm. is really helpful for her. She's alone and he's got like the team. So I guess like his experience was more like mine, but I... I feel like the way that she is battling sexual harassment and certain, you know, preconceptions about her as a girl and things like that, that was something that I felt while I was a debater in very light ways. There wasn't anything major that happened, but there was always this like, you need to wear this certain kind of dress, you need to cover your knees, you need to Mm -hmm. look a certain way, you need to wear pantyhose, you need to see what your voice is like. Is your voice too high? Is Mm -hmm. it like screechy or is it, are you seeming bitchy? You know, all of these things that we put on young women Mm -hmm. that came through with her. And I am just going crazy with your question, right? (laughs) No, no, this is great. Honestly, like this is great because you're absolutely like, that's actually one of the reasons thinking about, like you said, theater from my experience. That's one of the reasons why I loved theater. A, because like it it removed all of those types of things. Cause like we're all in the clothes that we have to wear for uh, you know, for the theater, but like, I, I, the thing that I loved about it, you were talking about those like overnight stays where you kind of would bond, you would practice stuff. Like that's the same thing for theater where like, it wasn't overnight things, but like the week leading up to a show, we would have these like, you know, rehearsals that would go till like midnight or we would have our dress rehearsal and then we would have like the play that night. And then we would all go to Denny's till like two in the morning. And like, and like literally without exaggeration, like, like the people that I went to that I, did theater with like when people see in like cheesy tv shows or movies uh, <laughs> someone, like standing up in the middle of like a diner and like do, doing a speech from like you know rent or something that was like the people i hung out with like we were in those drinking coffee eating too many pancakes at two in the morning and yeah. like, one stands up and is like i'm gonna do a speech from godspell and you're like what are you so great right it's yeah those so- and like those are the things like i said those are the relationships that i remember and like there was something about, like, I, I can't speak for for you and I would never speak for someone else about their experiences, like when you're on stage, but there is that something about that moment when you're all like back, backstage or like you said, like prepping and practicing that it makes you feel like you're a part of something that is fairly, at least in my experience, like fairly judgment-free in that moment. And mm-hmm. again, like then I get on stage and I sing a solo and it's pretty garbage and people are like, oh, I can't sing. That's different. <laughs> I love that you talk about community that can be built because I, I think that's so important for and that was one of the reasons I wanted to specifically ask you about debate team because I feel like when kids read your book there are so many there are a lot of examples of coming of age stories where people are like the misfits but I feel like 
this is a group of people where like there probably aren't that I know for a fact there aren't that many books about debate in a high school experience. And then so people that are in that, I, I feel like they have a chance to feel like they're seen as well. I just, I don't know. I, this isn't even yeah. a question. I no, that. I hope so. Um, and that was one of the reasons I wrote it. And it's funny because right now, I mean, I think that the time we're in debate is a much more of a topical idea. Mm-hmm. And so I have been seeing a lot of books that are about the idea of debate coming out, both for uh, young, young people and adults. Mm-hmm. It was like a really formative part of my high school experience, like the same with you and theater. And mm-hmm. I also think that these things that we do as teens in high school, it's like we have a sense of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like cooking. It's like writing. It's like anything that, especially with these teams and probably football too, you know, like mm-hmm. just like you come together, you have a goal, you make it happen. Ideally, you win. But even if you lose, you still did it, which is so awesome. And Mm -hmm. you tried and, you know, you can, you'll do it again and you'll practice and you'll get better and your solo will get better. And there's just a sense of accomplishment. And I think that I wrote this book during the pandemic when Mm -hmm. our accomplishments or feeling accomplished was like so different all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, what do we achieve? What are we doing all this for? Um, we're just kind of in our houses. And I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you and I took up cooking pretty hardcore, but yeah, pretty hard, <laughs> like yeah. we had to do something. But yeah, there was this going back in my brain to this moment of feeling really accomplished by having a group of people who work together, you know, individually, because we're all Lincoln Douglas debaters like do it on their own. There's no mm-hmm. team, but you have this overarching team. So, yeah. and like how great that felt. Mm-hmm. And I do hope that debating, you know, I think like there's so many things that I want <laughs> young people to read and understand and have because thinking about debate or thinking about theater or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you love and getting to do that is so valuable. And in this time when it feels like the world is just, you know, on fire, literally a lot of the time, these little things that we do in high school can just give us hope. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I will say like, just to like one more point about like the book and it being about debate. I I do think I'm one of these people. I'm admittedly a bit pessimistic when it comes to like, I think about people listening to this podcast by now will know that I am a very, very left. I'm literally wearing a hoodie that says equality on it with like, like, I, (laughs) I make my, like I, which I love, clear. by the way. Thank you. I <laughs> thank you. I make like I make my thoughts on the world very clear. Yeah. But I also am the type of person who I just I get really depressed because I'm like, you see these debates come up in politics, and you're like, it, none of the talking points matter anymore because no one on either side is ever going to be have their mind changed. And like, right. it's like on one side of a debate, there are people who you know are trying to at least kind of look out for other human beings. And then the other side of it is just, they just want money and power. And yeah. And to go back to an old way that's like defunct, but it's going to be. Exactly. My point is like, I feel like there are the people who are in charge now that are older, like it can be really depressing to think about how they will never have their minds changed. But teenagers, it's important for them to understand both sides of conversations because people who are younger and can still have their mind changed a little bit, like maybe they befriend someone who has grown up in a household, which is more closed-minded but they can have a conversation with those people and say, okay, I understand where your family's coming from, but listen yeah. to me. So if you know both sides of a conversation, of a debate, of an argument, you can more comfortably talk about it with yes. other people. 
Yes. And that's, that's part of the idea of the book too. You know, not that you should simply pander to beliefs that you, you know, know are wrong, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think like after Trump was elected, there was a lot of talk online, especially about like, disinvite your racist uncle from Thanksgiving. Like you don't even need to talk to that people, that guy, like get, get him out of your life. And while I, to some extent do agree with that and I don't want that person at my Thanksgiving. I think it's become more clear that we're not going to get anywhere by cutting off half the people in the country. So then the question is, what do we do? Yeah, you're absolutely, but you're absolutely right. It's like, we can't, these people are going to continue to exist here. So like we, yeah. And the people who, who have the, you know, who don't feel personally attacked, maybe like the people who kind of have the privilege and luxury of speaking up should do that. And that, that's also a theme in the book, you know, Mm -hmm. how you can fight for people who may need you to help them. Um, but how you need to fight for yourself too. And, uh, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's literally a scene I but where kind of what you're talking about happens with like an older congressman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is set in Alabama. So as you can imagine, there are some very close-minded conservative points of view, and that's just reality. But like Alabama is full of people who are not like that too. Mm-hmm. So knowing what the arguments are and talking about things mm-hmm. is very important. And you're never gonna be in a bad position if you know, if you are educated, if you yeah read about things, if you listen to people's opinions, um, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah, seeing a small minority of people with loud voices say horrible things can make you more prone to believe that everyone believes that, but in reality, it, there are far more people out in the world that are willing to hear what you have to say. And Yeah, and like, we are all humans. Yeah. I mean, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, have, I have questions about some, but mostly. <laughs> okay, I have two questions, two more questions for you. They're both lighthearted. One is one that I'm asking everybody, but the first one is, what's the biggest uh, cooking disaster you've had over the past couple of years? Is there anything that's been like, like, I'll give you oh. a perfect, this isn't a disaster disaster, but I'll give you a perfect example. I actually did wait the 24 hours for a, a loaf of bread once and I just didn't put salt in the dough. So it was, <laughs> it tasted like matzah. Like it was just garb. It was so bad. <laughs> I mean, most recently I, this, this doesn't count maybe as the biggest disaster, but mm-hmm. it was kind of a huge disappointment because I love fried rice and I mm-hmm. want to make it and eat it all the time. And then I, it was with tofu and somehow I used this like, garlic shoyu on the tofu and it just became like way too salty Mm -hmm. and so we're sitting there eating it and then that night I like was having like heart palpitations (laughs) (laughs) like what did I do to myself and I but it's like the rice is still good but this tofu is just like way way too salty um and I hate that I hate ruining something I I feel like that is actually and this is like a weird thing to know about myself like most Asian sauces I feel like I don't get the like balance right and I just feel like I end up making it way too salty every time like I'll be like you know I'll add like whether it's you know dark or regular sesame or, yeah. or dark re, dark regular soy or sesame or you know ponds like I feel like whatever the balance is that I'm trying to get I always make it just a little bit too salty and I'm like man there's so that no, be, I, like I guess we just need to hold back yeah and add it later but it's hard <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, okay, last question for you. I'm asking everybody before they go for a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book, a TV show, uh, a a movie, a song, a recipe. Like, is there something that you really love that you think more people should know about? 
Yes. <laughs> Actually, I have the perfect thing because it, it like relates to everything. But mm-hmm. so there is this show. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Midnight Diner. Um, I have heard of it. I haven't seen it it's yet. It's on Netflix. There's Midnight Diner, the original, which I believe came out in like maybe 2008. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it is about a, uh, he's called Master. He's a restaurant owner in Japan. Mm-hmm. He owns a diner and it's open from midnight to 7 a.m. Mm. And it's about his clientele who come in every night. And like it's there's like repeating characters, but then there are just individual stories that come out through this. And most episodes are based on a food that mm-hmm. um, one of the customers, so he'll make whatever you want if he has the ingredients. He's only got like pork ramen on the menu, but he'll, but if you, if you ask for like, you know, there's like an omelet that this one guy wants, or there's like um, these sausages that another guy, and like they remind people of childhood and their ways into different stories about their lives. And mm-hmm. it's like quirky and wonderful and heartwarming and, um, it makes you want to cook. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. It's oh, so gosh. fun. And so there's like the original, I think was maybe three seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they came back in like, say a few, I don't know, maybe 2016 with another, it's called Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, it's got the same characters mostly and the same guy who runs the, the restaurant. So you get like another two seasons. It's that's really fun. That sounds so good. I'm absolutely going to check that out. Um, Well, Jen, I really, really appreciate you joining me today. This was so, so much fun. And I feel like I could talk cooking with you for two more hours. Yes. If you ever want to, you know, send me an email. Yeah. (laughs) We can, we can, we can chat. (laughs) I will take you up on that. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.